Good morning, Wellspring. It's good to be back. I will, uh, I will never forget June 18th, 2018, because something had happened to me that changed the way I saw things. I spent the day doing this. I'd had cataract surgery in my left eye, and I couldn't believe the vibrant colors I was seeing in the corrected eye. It was like you needed to turn the contrast down. The difference between the corrected eye and my old eye, blue and yellow. And today, we're going to be talking about something that, like cataract surgery, will change the way you see your world. It'll change the way you see relationships, your marriage, and your spouse. Well, welcome back to our marriage series on the three essentials for marriage. And so last week, I started with a proposition. And my proposition to you is this. No matter where you are in your marriage relationship, everyone can have a thriving, lifelong, God-honoring marriage by focusing, by being intentional about three things. And we call these the three essentials of marriage. The first is to discover and build on God's plan for marriage. The second is to grow in relationship with Christ. The third is to grow in relationship with each other. And last week, as we talked about discovering and building on God's plan, we focused on two big ideas. And the big ideas were, number one, that if you look at couples that um, are thriving and they're going the distance, there's a number of characteristics you're going to see. They have some, some things in common. And one of them is they have high commitment. And that high commitment carries them across those difficult times in, that come in every marriage. And so our takeaway, our application last week was when you're having trouble in marriage, take the word divorce off the table. It, it, it makes your relationship unsafe. And we're going to talk more about why that's a big deal today. And then the second idea was, is that Well, when you do experience trouble in your marriage, and and you are, that God actually has a plan to use those difficulties. And we talked about the second aspect of marriage as the transformational aspect of marriage. In other words, God designed marriage to help you become something, which begged the question to become what? And we looked at Romans 8, 28, and 29. And what we saw was is that the answer is... Marriage is designed to help you become more like Christ. And so from that came a principle. And the principle was when we're having difficulties to look up, not over at our spouse, to look up, not over, and to ask God, okay, Lord, so what is it you're trying to teach me in this difficult period to make me more like Christ, to give me the opportunity to become more like Christ. And it's that change in perspective of how we're seeing things that can help us go the distance in our marriage. In other words, in knowing that there is purpose in the pain. Well, today we're going to look at the second essential, growing in relationship with Christ. And I want to look closely at, so why... Does growing in relationship with Christ, why is that necessary to have a thriving marriage? Now, it might surprise you as a marriage pastor who've been in marriage ministry now for over 30 years, I actually think it's possible to have a pretty good marriage without Christ in your life. I've seen it. But what I 
also think is I don't think you can have a thriving marriage, certainly not one that is God-honoring, because, and I want you to hear me on this, hear me, because Christ is the only solution to a problem that all marriages have. Christ is the only solution to a problem that all marriages have. And so the question then becomes, so what problem does growing in relationship to Christ solve that helps us have thriving marriages? Well, when you marry, the only option that you have available to you is to marry a sinner. Ain't nobody else available. And as pretty as she is, she's a mess and so are you. I love, as a marriage pastor, working with premarital couples. I mean, there they are, you know, they're, they're almost sitting in the same chair together, right? And, 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 and they're, they're finishing each other's sentences. I mean, I, I feel like he just, he completes me and, and, he, and he meets my every need. And I'm thinking, no, what you're actually feeling is uh, the tingles. And we talked about this last week. And the tingles caused by that neurochemical high, they're going to wear off. And like after cataract surgery, you're going to see them in a whole new light in a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a period of time. When uh, Edie, she, she was able to join me, my wife here, uh, she wasn't with us last week. But when Edie and I first got married, I was in the construction business. Got home from the honeymoon. I had to wake up really early. And like a great wife, she got up with me. And she started cooking, I'm not kidding, seven-course breakfasts. <laughs> I just love the feeling of being loved, of, of being served. Well, after about three or four weeks of this, I, I finally confessed to her. I said, "Hun, I don't really like eating breakfast that early. To which she said, oh, thank God. And I've seen the woman before eight o'clock since. <laughs> well... Last week, we talked about why do we need to become intentional, and we, we showed this diagram. And so basically, this diagram is helping us understand that the path ahead of us is going to either lead to thriving marriages or surviving marriages. Because when the chemistry starts to wear off, unless we decide to take the intentional path, we will default to the path that feels normal. And normal, as we said last week, is a return to focusing on the most important person in the world, me. And so let me just try to sum this up for you. Here's the problem in marriage. The problem is you have signed up, whether you knew it or not, you've signed up, I signed up, unfortunately, she signed up to go on a lifelong journey with a sinner. And you can often substitute the word selfishness for the word sin. And I have a couple here. I thought maybe you'd like to hear a little bit about their journey and see if you can relate. Do these pants make me look fat? What? You look like a supermodel. You look fantastic. Newlyweds. Do these pants make me look fat? We could get you a treadmill for Christmas if you really wanted one. Not so newlyweds. Hey, I heard the car pull up. Let me get one of these bags. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Newlyweds. 
Honey, there's, there's somebody at the door. Not so newlyweds. You look really handsome tonight. It's only because I have to keep up with my beautiful wife. Newlyweds. You know, you could have at least not worn a hat. Or a pizza joint, not a rehearsal dinner. Not so newlyweds. Honey, that, you missed your turn. Oh, oh, sorry, I'll turn around. No worries, we can be a little late. Newlyweds. I can't believe you just missed your turn again. Do you want me to drive? Sure, if you, you want. You know what? Just get us there! Not so newlyweds. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> no worries. It's kind of cute. Newlyweds. Sorry. Not so newlyweds. <laughs> well, <laughs> perhaps you can relate to their journey. Right? Look, here's the thing. Christ is the only solution to a selfishness problem. He, he's our model for what selflessness looks like, for what servant leadership looks like, all of which is required to stay on the thriving path. Here's what it says about that model in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9, talking about Jesus. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you. Translations, many of them say, have this attitude, this, this way of, of thinking. Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Christ is the only solution to a selfishness problem. He's also the only solution to a sin problem. And what I've found over the last 30 years in working with couples is that often because we don't understand how the consequences of the fall that happened in the garden and our own personal sin impact our marriages, then when difficulties come, and they will, Oftentimes, what that leads us to is to go looking for a skills-based solution. In other words, more money management, right? Better communication, all of which are important, but we look for the skills-based solution instead of the spiritual solution. But unfortunately, more skills won't solve the self problem because educated self is still self, and self has to die for marriage to live. Let me repeat that. Self has to die for marriage to live. What I'm trying to say is that to go the distance, you have to die to self over a lifetime. And it requires sacrifice. It requires love. And it requires power that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so my goal this morning is to help you see that marriage is much more of a spiritual issue than it is a, a skills issue or perhaps a, a, a lack of skills issue. 
And over in Ephesians 6, we learn who the real enemy is. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says this. It says, our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Practically, our struggle is not against our spouse. It's against Satan. But Satan wants you to think it's your spouse. Satan wants you to forget that you and your spouse are both wearing the same color jersey because you're on the same team. So what I'm saying is, is that your spouse is not your enemy. Satan is. And if you feel comfortable, look to your spouse right now and just say, you are not my enemy. Satan is. Go ahead right now. You are not my enemy. Satan is. Yeah. Well, so where did all this come from? Well, it came from a garden. Genesis chapter 2 describes the very first wedding in history. So what's happened is God's placed uh, Adam in the garden. He's given him a job. You go name some animals. And what he is doing, I believe, is he's helping Adam self-discover something. Number one, there's nothing like him in the garden. And number two, he's lonely. And we, so we pick up the story in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The translation doesn't work really well there. I think a better translation is, he took one look at her. She was naked, right? And he goes, whoa, 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 man, whoa, man. That's, I think that's a better translation. But okay, as we continue on, um, it says, and so the first wedding, it closes with this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh That's where we get this whole idea we talk talk often about, about becoming one in marriage. But I want you to notice there's a very peculiar statement right at the end of the marriage ceremony. Verse 25, it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now in Texas, we say they's naked, right? But the question is, why does God want us to know that they's naked? And what's this unashamed business all about? Well, it's important for us to figure out where we are in Scripture. Because we have just read the last chapter in the whole Bible before sin enters into the world over in chapter 3. And here's the takeaway for us. All of us, all of our marriages are born in chapter 3. None of us have chapter 2 marriages. Now, I want you to hold on to that idea for just a moment because we're going to go over to chapter three and we're going to pick up the story of where Satan is tempting Adam and Eve. And here's what it says. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, we need to just stop for a moment. Because what you've just read is the last verse in all of Scripture before sin enters into the world. Let me kind of give you a little illustration here of the problem we're talking about this morning. Okay, so this, this is Genesis chapters 1 and 2. You tracking with me? And this is the rest of Scripture 
after chapter three, okay, where sin is entered into the world. Does that kind of help us with the idea and the problem of, of sin? Well, we continue on and we read, and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed figs leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Okay, compare and contrast. The last verse in chapter two, after God performed the very first wedding was, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And the very first verse immediately after sin is entered into the world is, and the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So let's just stop and think about that for a moment. I mean, God wrote a lot after the fall, but does it catch your attention that he starts the very first verse after sin has entered the world? He starts by telling us that the fall directly impacted the relationship between the man and the woman. They felt no shame before, and now they realize for the very first time in their relationship differences some of them anatomical differences. And so they covered up and that's the part we catch, but we're not catching this next part because now you see there's a barrier that's been introduced into the relationship. And the barrier is because of sin. We see down in verse eight, we see the barrier between the relationship between mankind and God. God says this, God says, hey Adam, where are you? Like he didn't know, right? And Adam said, I was afraid, so I covered up, I hid. Look, all of us have a desire for closeness and acceptance. That's the way God created us. That's part of of marriage, right? But now, out of fear of rejection, because of sin entering the world, we tend to cover ourselves. And it's that reluctance to be transparent it creates a barrier in our relationships, in our, in our marriages. And it creates a relationship in oneness and it creates a, a, a barrier uh, in intimacy. And so the guys, we use a different word for intimacy, but I'm not actually describing intimacy this way. Here's the way I'm describing intimacy. Intimacy is in to me you see. The safety of showing their deepest thoughts, their deepest feelings, it's gone. And for the very first time, fear has entered into the relationship. So as a result of the fear from what the other one would see, if they look too deeply into me, you see, they covered up. If God only knew what I've done, he, he won't love me. If my husband or, or, or my wife, if they only knew my inadequacies, my insecurities about my looks or how I preach or, or how I do my job, they won't love me. And so we cover up. Ever since that day, husbands and wives have had trouble uncovering and allowing in to me, you see, because of this spiritual barrier. Sin it negatively impacts our marriages We all have chapter three marriages. And so if you're trying to do marriage right without having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's like having a power tool 
called marriage that God intends to make something with, except you haven't plugged it in to the power source that comes from having Christ in your life. And that power source is called the Holy Spirit. And this morning with a crowd this size, it is certainly possible that we have two groups of of people here today. We have people that have accepted Christ and people that haven't. And so let me talk to the, the first group. Those that have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. At the moment that you accepted Christ, you, um, you now have a power source residing within you. We call that the Holy Spirit. And it takes supernatural power to live in constant victory as sinners in a fallen world. Galatians 5.16 kind of sums it up for us. It says this. It says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And living by the Spirit, it's a daily, moment-by-moment choice. And believers have that power source within us. It's called the Holy Spirit. But some of us, we're not using it. You're still relying on your own force of will to cut through your sin challenges. And I'm reminded of of a story I heard about a city boy and a country boy. And they went into the tree cutting business together. And so after the first week, they came back together to compare notes. And city boy said, man, he said, I cut down 10 trees this week. Country boy looked at him a little strangely. And he said, man, I cut down 100 trees this week. City boy said, how in the world did you cut down 100 trees? He said, I got myself a chainsaw. Well, city boy, he went out and he got himself a chainsaw. So after the second week, they came back and they compared notes again and City boy said, well, I only cut down five trees this week. Country boy said, five trees? He said, I cut down 150 trees. He said, there's got to be something wrong with your chainsaw. And he picked up that chainsaw and pulled it a couple of times. City boy jumped back and he said, what's that noise? What's that noise? (laughs) Yeah. Some of us are going through life without using this supernatural power source that we have to defeat sin. Well, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, then you don't even have a chainsaw, so to speak. And you can probably relate to just how hard life is, trying to go through it, own force of will, to to cut through your sin challenges, perhaps even using some, some tools, some marriage tools that, you, that you've used or that you've picked up along the way. And so this morning, I just want to stop and just take a moment and tell you about some good news. I'm going to tell you about what God has done for you to overcome the sin problem in your life. We call it the gospel, and it's really simple. The gospel is really that while you are a sinner, God loves you. And because of his love for you, he solved the sin problem by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. In John 3.16, I think we've got that slide here, and it really just sums it up. It just says, look, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so basically what we're saying is God has given all of us a gift, but the question for all of us is, have we Have we ever accepted that gift? My prayer for everyone here this morning is you 
you wouldn't go home without that gift. And accepting it is really simple. You can do it right where you're at. It's just a simple prayer. God knows your heart. And the prayer is something along the lines of, Jesus, I acknowledge I am a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you arose from the dead to pay the penalty for my sin. Forgive me and come into my life. Make me the person you'd have me to be. If there happens to be anybody here that prayed that prayer for the very first time and you're married, certainly I encourage you to tell your, tell your spouse. They want to know. And tell somebody at Wellspring. We'll have somebody uh, up here at the end of the service. We, we, we want to help you grow. Well, some time ago, I had a water pump, and um, this water pump stopped working. I couldn't figure it out. It looked fine until I broke it apart. And then all of a sudden, I go, ah, I see the problem. Years of neglect had caused corrosion and rust to build up. And I find that my heart works exactly the same way. From time to time, I need to look inside and clean it out. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to something that's called a daily examen, and it's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N. So a fellow by the name of St. Ignatius of Loyola, about 400 years ago, he developed this. And uh, I have incorporated this particular examen into my own quiet time. And, And so it's simply just a piece of paper with words on it. And on the right hand, or the left hand side of, of, of the page, it has words that describe what does Brian look like when he's being spirit controlled? And on the right hand side, what does Brian look like when he is being controlled by the sinful nature? And the way it works is, is that you look at the top and I, I pray through Psalms 139, 23 and, and 24. And so let me just read it to you. It says, search Edie, O God, and know her heart and show her all of her evil ways. All right? That's the RSV version. I like that version better, right? Okay? The RSV is the revised Sanders version. But the NIV is what probably y'all use here. And so let me read that one to you. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart and test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. In other words, I'm asking myself, Lord, will you please show me what's it like to be married to me lately? And then I think back over the time that's elapsed elapsed since the last time I I used this in my daily quiet time. And I just let the, the Holy Spirit bring to my mind situations, behaviors where there was sinfulness in my life in terms of dealing with others, particularly my wife. And I circle these words. This, you can see, there's some words circled here. And then on the backside, there are six steps that I work through. The process, Matt talked about this, repentance. Repentance with God confessing, asking my wife for forgiveness and others that I've offended. Look, here's the thing, okay? Edie and I, we have been married now for 42 years and we've been in marriage ministry for 30 years. And and I don't say this as a brag, but we know how to do marriage right. And yet there is seldom a week 
that goes by that the Holy Spirit doesn't bring something to my mind. Just recently, I was working through this, and I realized that harshness, that's a word on here, had crept into my conversations about having to repeat myself. Somebody once said that marriage, marriage is about 90% yelling, what? To somebody from the other room until you die. And so welcome to our world. We both probably need hearing aids at this point. And so this, I'd grown frustrated over this seemingly endless cycle, right, of miscommunication. And yet it says over in Colossians 3, it says, husbands, it says, Sanders, love Edie and do not be harsh with her. My encouragement for everyone this week, and this is really a relationship examine, not so much marriage, but marriage is relationship. My encouragement this week is every day, spend some time reading down that right hand side and let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind the things that God brings to your attention that need to be dealt with. For everyone that has accepted Christ here this morning, here's the deal. If persistent, habitual, unrepentant sin is the problem in your marriage, there is no human remedy. But here's the good news. There's a spiritual remedy. We can confess to God, we can repent, and we can work through this process and make things right with God and our spouse. And I would encourage you to do that. And if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Christ, well, here's the deal. Sin is a problem. It's a problem in your marriage, but much more importantly, it's a problem in your relationship with God. And there is no human remedy. But the good news is there's a spiritual remedy. You can accept that gift that God has given each one of us. And so as we leave this morning, I just want us to ask this question. Has the gospel changed the way I see my world, my relationships, my marriage, and my spouse? It can and it will. Well, next time we're going to come back and we're going to close the Three Essentials series and we're going to talk about essential number three, growing in relationship with each other. Ruth Belle Graham was Billy Graham's wife, and she said that a good marriage is the union between two good forgivers. And we're going to look more closely at, so what does forgiveness look like? How how do we do that? And we're going to talk a little bit about fun and friendship in your marriage. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you care, that you care deeply about relationships. Thank you for sending your son. And that by believing in him, we can restore our relationship with you and we can restore our relationship with each other. Lord, open our eyes to how sin has impacted our relationships with others and help us to be more like you.